Thank you, Janet Lee. I, I just can tell you that angels listen in on meetings like what we have. And they listen in to the organ playing. And their, their wings, as they flutter and rush and quicken, they have shimmerings that interpret the spiritual aspects of the chords of the music. And Janet Lee, thank you. And you know, while I'm doing this thank you business, I should thank Brian Parks and Steve Phillips Zach for their tremendous assist in helping us get these programs on the air. I am so thankful to God for the two of them, the dedication, the interact, and their ability and their longing for this word to get out. I want to briefly go over just a few points of the broadcast announcement. Not every aspect of it, but there were, there were some things said. It was about this broadcast five that we're doing today. Spiritual coherence versus spiritual incoherence. There is something very important about this topic today that you will see its value as we dive in to the waters that are far above our heads in the Ezekiel Revelation. This is a virtual moment. It is a a doorstep position for entering into spiritual reality and actuality of the Holy Ghost. I wrote in this announcement, for, t for far too long, believers have remained primitive to the spiritual things of the Spirit of God. Believers in God and their being aware or being unaware of the near presence of angels and in an unawareness of, God, of the inner presence of the Holy Ghost have metaphorically lived on skim milk while being deprived of angel food and being vacant of this great and wonderful knowledge. And there's some other points in the introduction, the announcement that are so worthwhile making, sort of skip down to a part here. This is the time to ascertain the spiritual sense of co coherence. God is pure. I am's word is pure. And the Holy Ghost is the way of coming into the presence of that knowledge of pureness. Interestingly, there are a couple scriptures. I didn't put them in the announcement, but I'm giving them to you now. First Corinthians. First Corinthians six seventeen. But he that is joined into the Lord is one spirit. We are bringing you on this journey into revelations about the doublings, revelations about cohooning, revelations about spirit sharing, revelations about coming into this trans-assimilation of Jesus Christ and our our spirits being joined unto the Lord 
becoming one spirit. And it all has to do with this thing that Jesus said that turns so many of his disciples off. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot, you cannot be accepted into the kingdom of God. And then, you know, Paul ascribes to that an incredible interpretation. You know, he says in 1 Corinthians 11.28, you need to examine yourself. This thing about even the metaphorical supper is very, very important because it represents a very heavenly spiritual connection. And he says, and this is quite interesting, he that eateth and thinketh unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself. Later we saw where this term damnation turns into being sick, unhealthy, and even allowing premature death. People not living out their time because they were doing something that was supposed to be in the name of what was right, in the name of Christ, in the name of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> but they were doing it incorrectly. And here is the aspect of it that just stands out like a trumpet today. He that eateth, that's one thing. You that eat these sacraments, you that eat this deep word, that's one thing. But they put a conjunction in there. And thanketh. You can actually think wrong and be a part of those who are thinking unworthily. And by thinking unworthily, actually add damnation or corruption unto yourself, which can limit you, which can cause an opening for sicknesses to come on you, and which can even lead to you not living out your destined time. Just thinking unworthily. Now, I, I really feel serious about this because I, I believe that a lot of people, when we get into these deep teachings, they think unworthily of themselves. They think uh, they're just not able to eat this meat. They're just not able to partake of it because it's over their head. And that is everything against what Jesus Christ taught. Jesus Christ taught everything is possible. And, and Paul even wrote, and he says, there are mysteries, hidden mysteries. And he says, these have belonged to us, not just in this life in which we live, but he said they were dedicated to us. They belonged to us before the foundations of this world. That's in the book of Corinthians. And we've got to get into this thing. We have to get into it. This is the time, the announcement says, to fulfill the should be. S-H-O-U-L-D-B-E. Should be of this scripture proposal. There are things not written that should be written. There are things that you don't know that you should know. There are things that you should believe that you don't believe. There are things that you should be acting out that you are not acting out. There are things that would change your life that are not changing your life because you are not 
thinking worthily. This kind of spiritual glory, the glory of the Holy Ghost, can pour out in each person rivers of living water until they overflow from their innermost being. The glories that belong to us, as I quoted here earlier, before the foundations of the world, that was written about by Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.7. Then I sort of come to the close of this announcement, and then I say a quote from the Bible, Whosoever has an ear, I bid you hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Well, there's another scripture so beautiful that Paul wrote, so poetic. God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. We don't really expect the source of light to come out of the darkness. We really expect that the source of light is some kind of a button thing like our light switch that is coming from somewhere else some electrical fascinating type of scientific invention that got put into a wonderful usage for keeping our houses from being dark. But if you take it way back, if you go way back, you go back in time, before Maxwell, before some of these great scientists, there was darkness. And that's how this whole world began. Everything was darkness. And then God said, let there be light. Now, who was he speaking that to? Was he turning his head and looking off somewhere, maybe toward the first domain and saying, hey, over there, listen to what I'm saying. I'm trying to work out something over here in this glob of darkness. You think you could send some light over? No, that was not what God was doing. He was looking directly at the darkness, and he was speaking to that darkness, and he was saying, I command there to be light out of you. I command the light to shine out of the darkness. I want to encourage you today that no matter how dark you feel that your soul and spirit is, no matter how disconcerting, no matter how misunderstanding, no matter how errant that you feel that you are just contraptulated in this spiral of a down fling, God is commanding today from this message, from this word, for a light to shine out of your darkness. Now, as we get into the teaching that is so very, very important, coherence versus incoherence, listen to this scripture. Then shall we know. Does that include you? I think so. Does that include me? I think so. If, oh, that is so big. What a mountain. But there are songs, and there are hearts that believe, and there are minds that are determined and are persistent to climb those mountains. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. That's nothing less than the 
Old Testament word by the Holy Ghost that Jesus spoke when he said, they that endure unto the end, the same will be saved. I love that word same. Enduring unto the end is the same as being saved. It's sort of like when all of the destruction, when all of the worst things that the mark of the beast can bring, when all of the deepest, loudest roars of the dragon are heard, and those that are bent down and destroyed by it, there still remains a few standing, like figs left on a tree refusing to be shook loose. They are automatically saved. We, if we follow on to know the Lord, that his going forth is prepared as the morning. It's there all the time. Why is it there all the time and called morning? Because it ties into you. That's your name. That's the name that belonged to you before you came here in the human body. Before you fell. Morning stars. And the Lord is prepared as the morning. Because... He never sinned. He never fell. And he is coming unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. And that is written in Hosea, H-O-S-E-A, 6-3 K-J-V. Somewhere in here belongs a message about consciousness, which differentiates spirit, soul, mortals from the beast world, including ancient pre-Adamic humans who had body souls but did not have spirit souls. In the spiritual insight, a spiritual coherence includes awareness, which is a main factor to the consciousness of an entity with a spirit soul. Incoherence of spiritual things, what do they represent? What is incoherence? Well, there's lots of scripture on it. To only know in part, to see through a glass darkly, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, KJV. Is that incoherence? Yes, it is. When you only know something in part, you don't have the answer to the puzzle. You don't have the full divulge of spiritual wisdom. Your, your pillar is not standing at its total tall height that it should be. Is the glass darkly? Now get a hold on this one. Glass, G-L-A-S-S, -S, darkly. Is it a holographic realm? Are some of these ideas that scientists are talking about, that they feel that they are discovering, that we are somehow living in a whole aspect of non-reality, a different reality than what we really think we are? Why does that not ring like a bell so loud that it's causing the curtains of the temple to crack in two, to reveal the holy place. It does ring that loud. Because in the holy manifest it says, 
That which you see is not that which is. That which you do not see is that which is. And so there we have it. So profound, so connected, so important. Glass darkly, holographic realm, what could that mean? It means that there's not really even a third dimension. We think we're in a third dimension here. And we add time to it and get a fourth dimension. And that's sort of strange, especially when the Bible teaches that at some point, time will be no more. So that would mean that all of the mathematicians' work, all of the collective ingenuity and the theoretical promptitudes that are put by adding the fourth dimension to construct some kind of a theory that when time is no more, because they're calling that time a dimension, then that dimension, which they call the fourth dimension, will disappear. And then you'd be back to a three dimension. Now I wonder if the, if the, if the, the third dimension disappears. Isn't that sort of interesting in the revelation of the first domain called the dimension of one? What if there was really only one dimension? Someone said, well, that'd be so limited. Would it really? Would it really be that limited? If in fact that you could encode that you could encode a third dimension or a second dimension, which in actuality, in actuality does not exist, but in fact is everything that is seen. And some people would, would maybe say the same thing that the Buddhists have said for <laughs> ancient years of, of hundreds of years. The Buddhists said everything is an illusion. See, this knowledge has been around. It's been on earth. But people have remained ancient in their thinking. They have remained primitive type of ancientness that I am referring to. So, that is so interesting. That is so much a clarification. This idea of the th theoretical holographic proposal isn't just junk, but I don't say that it's 100% on, but it's throwing in the ante and beginning to stir up people's minds to understand there's more to things. This if is a bigger, taller mountain than you ever imagine. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning stars. Oh, that which was is that which is. And that which is is that which is to come. And God requireth, it says this in Ecclesiastes, that which is past. What is past? 
Job 38. And then one time, once upon a long time ago, before the earth was even created, the morning stars, as they looked upon the proposal of the creation, began to sing and began to shout as they, being a host of angels, were in the great work of creation. Ah, what a song. What poetry. Sorry, Shakespeare. You're good, but you're just not that good. And so, here we go. Here we go. There is an accord to this idea of which the Holy Ghost, as I quoted you already, has said, that which is seen is that not that which is. That which is is that which is not seen. Am I endorsing a theoretical holographic idea? Not really. Although the eyes of all creatures have brains different of vision, for instance, color and magnification are greatly differentiated, accordingly, spirit beams on a higher scale can see photocosmically and phototransparently. Spirit beings on a higher scale can see photocosmically and phototransparently. To the eye of an advanced spirit, there is no film of vision gradation. Now, now get a hang and a hold on this. To the eye of an advanced spirit, there is no film of vision gradation, difference of seeing through darkness and light. Scripture. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Psalms 139, 11 through 12. The power to see through darkness. The power for the command of God to come and command the light to shine through the darkness can be directly applied by you. When you are in the darkness of troubles, in the darkness of financial destruction, in the darkness of grief and worry and mental amplitude, that is so low you hardly are above the, the level table line. When you have all these problems and they pour down on you and press on you, hammer on you, that is the time for the, your light, the kingdom of God within, to shine out of the darkness, for your, the light to be turned on so that you can see that all your troubles are not even a drop in the bucket compared to the power of the Holy Ghost. In just a wimple of a slight move by the Holy Ghost towards your direction of need, all of those things go into the vanishings. Let there be light. God is by the Holy Ghost omnipresent in all things. God is everywhere. Someone says, you know, I don't know about this thing being, uh, you know, like the Holy Ghost being everywhere. I don't know about that. I know. That's why we read to you that 
Then shall you know if you follow on to know the Lord. God is omnipresent. And here's what it says in the Bible. Written by David, by the Spirit. If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Psalms 139.8, KJV. Let there be light. In the science of the Bible, it says, A state is possible where there is no difference between light and darkness. Oh my, what have we just brought up in a resurrection from the dead? Something awesome. Something awesome. We're talking about coherence versus incoherence. People are incoherent when there are things that they are unaware of. The Bible talks about how that there are angels and they're around. And if people's eyes could only be opened, we know of instances where Jesus opened the eyes of people because they could not even see who he really was until he opened the eyes. And suddenly they could see, oh, that gardener, why, that was Jesus. That man on the road we thought was someone else. That was Jesus. And let me give you something else about that unawareness, because that certainly belongs to incoherence. If you entertain angels unaware, now hang on to this. If you entertain angels unaware when a prophet or a seer who has an angelic ministry is ministering these things, and you lightheartedly take it and just don't really allow it to enter into your thoughts and to enter into to the meal that you're supposed to be taking and, and vitamizing yourself and strengthening your, yourself, then you are in ignorance, and that is incoherence. Because you are entertaining angels unaware. Because the prophet and seer ministry, that is an angelic ministry, is trying to reveal to you and trying to show you the power of creating angels. It's like we talked about Paul when he was caught up to the third heaven. That's a beautiful thing. Then we stopped and we said, Hey, stop, where were you going? So, well, I'm going to read the next verse. No, no, stop. What are you doing? I I'm going to read the next verse. What are you doing? You haven't understood what it, this verse said when it said Paul was caught up to the third heaven. Now, we've got to look at suppositions. When something says this was the third, you know, someone says, now, when you want to find this important location, you turn on the third street with the stoplight. And it will be green when you get there. And it will be the third stoplight. So then you can't ignore that there's stoplight two and there's stoplight one before stoplight three because otherwise you will not be counting it and therefore you will probably pass up 
the third stoplight called paradise. So we were showing how that in a spiritual fold of the 30, 60, 100 fold, you know, there, there was number one, the cherubimic place of creation, number two, the seraphimic place of creation, and number three, the ophanimic place of creation, which actually is the Father's house. Whoa. Now we're going to get into something that could blow you away. Now, when we say blow you away, we're not talking about blowing you away from listening to this teaching or blowing you away from spirituality, but we're talking about blowing you away from incoherence, from being in a place where you haven't followed on to know the Lord in this area before, and God is drawing you and calling you. And I want to talk about loops, L-O-O-P-S. Someone say, you bring up all these new words and things. That's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's big time in the Bible. Really big. And when I get into this today, you're going to see how incredible it is. Loop one. God is love. 1 John 4, 16. There is a spirit of love and there is a mortal love. Mortal love in the physical plane, such as Magnetic earth field is selective love. Spirit love in the first domain is a collective oneness love, and all present persons or souls or spirits are loved equally and belong to an eternal spirit core soul oneness. Whoa. Now, loop two, John four twenty four. Let there be light. The way, the method, is not in using might or power, but is by the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4, 6, KJV. Let there be light. Human bodies that harbor fallen spirits are assigned and destined by God. You're not into that human body because it was an accident. You're not into that human body because the, the DNA uh, gave you a bad uh, uh, deal, handed you a bad hand of cards. You're in that body because you're destined to be in the body you're in. And to the very extent that it is a challenge, that is part of the role that you have for overcoming. That's what you need to overcome is what your body is, is what your life is, is what your environment is, is what, where you are, how you are, why you are, in the state that you are. It's because it's what you need to overcome. And when you go around sobbing and crying and boo-hooing about why did it have to be like this, you're going against, you are unaware, you are going against the things of God, not understanding that the light is going to have to shine out of that darkness, that darkness of who you are. And you are incoherent when you don't understand that and when you don't accept that and when you don't believe that because it's just making you to be less of a person by not recognizing all of the down qualities that are darkness that's given to you to, 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 for challenging. So Jesus understood that. He could have taken on an angelic body which was the body that the seraphim, the seraphim, and the ophanim originally had when they left the first domain to go on the missionary work of creation. 
But he said, no, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't solve the problem if I had this incredible angelic body. That wouldn't solve the problem. What the problem is, is we've got the brother, the, 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 the sisters of the Lord, they have fallen. And they're into this mortal thing. And we've got to find a way for their sins to get forgiven. and for, We've got to show them how to overcome it. So he says, I'm going to have to take a body just like what they had. And he took on the seed of Abraham. That was destiny. That was the destiny of God for him to do that. He wasn't to take on an angel body and come and say, look, I'm perfect. What the hell's the matter with the rest of you people? Why can't you solve your problems? People say, well, that's, you're perfect. We're not perfect. Oh, yeah, but anyway, why can't you solve your problems? Oh, look at how perfect I am and how I'm able to do anything. Yeah, but you don't understand. We're, we're in these mortal bodies, and, and there, is a, uh, there is a war between us, a, a war between the, the, the spirits of darkness and the spirits of light. And, and, and then we got this beast body, and it has all these, these lust things and, and all these mental problematical things and we have to fight it all the time and and uh, you know and you know god saying you know it's a loop you've got to get out of the loop and there's a way to get out of the loop and we're going to show some of that to you today it's so very very interesting it's so very very unique it is so, so setting on fire. Whoa. Okay. Loop two. I read to you about human bodies that harbor fallen spirits are assigned and destined by God for those bodies. Check it out. Zechariah 12.1. So we're going to be a little while yet, and then we'll take a break, but not quite yet. Loop 3, God is light. 1 John 1.15 KJV, the everything of matter and antimatter is made of light. Sound emanates from matter, otherwise there would be physical silence. If you didn't have matter, there would be silence. What makes noise, what makes sound, is matter. And your matter, the angels fell into matter. And you make a lot of sounds. You talk, you sing, you groan, you laugh, you rejoice. But if you didn't have that body, it wouldn't be done that way. It would all be a mind world instead of a body world. And everything would be quite different. So, let's go on. Sound emanates from matter. Otherwise, there'd be silence. Is that what it meant? My God, is that what it meant? Is that what it meant in Revelations when it said... And there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. My God, is that given us the time that it was 30 minutes that when John was caught up into the spirit, that he left the, the matter realm of reasoning, the sound world, the voice world, 
the chorus world. And there was no matter, and so there was then no sound, no voice. And he went into an outside of that space place called spirit. And he was in the spirit, the Bible says, on the Lord's day when he heard the voice behind him. And that is what needs to be happening to a lot of the people that are involved in their theories and their, their certainties of religious doctrine. That they need to hear the voice behind them. They've already passed up, passed by the third heaven. They already went to the next scripture without getting the meaning of, of, of what third heaven was. They're also into all kinds of religious ventings without knowing what the preliminaries were that are of vast major importance. And so let there be light. Let there be light. The mystery of the loops and the cherubims, patterns of let there be light, were first revealed to Moses when he was on the mount. Exodus 26, 30, 31. We're going to just take a few more minutes and I'll close this and we'll go to the loops. So Zach will be prepared in about two or three minutes here and Jan will be ready to light up the organ. Let there be light in the order of whirlpools which exist in the lateral wave spirals of the new light that has been revealed as a different kind of light that is commonly known to humankind. There is a new kind of light out. We're going to discuss that. We're going to get in this thing about the loops. We have some subjects today that are not frizz, not fuzz, not foam. But this is the real energy of energy dots sung by angels. There is a call to the dedication of the Holy Ghost, drawing to life and ministry. Let there be light. It is the physical life. Loop 4 is life. John 8, 12. Gospel of John. And Revelations 11, 11. And this is the call to the dedication of the Holy Ghost, drawing to life and ministry, according to the voice that we will get into. And now we turn this over to Janet Lee forever.
My dearest Janet Lee, thank you. Your plane does not belong to the world of icicles. It belongs to the world of glowings. God bless you. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen. This subject here is chartered. It is on a spirit trip into Revelation. And there's no reason for you to call yourself unworthy, not capable to understand these things. Because the Bible says through Jesus Christ, we can do all things who will strengthen us. Turn with me today to the book of Exodus, chapter 25. Exodus 25, I'm, call, I'm reading from the King James Bible. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, It wasn't the first time that God, through the Lord, and notice that in the King James, all the letters of the Lord are capitalized. This specifically, definitely, without challenge, refers to Yahweh or Yahweh-el, as we say it. And this is important, to know who is Lord. Because we know there are gods and we know there are lords. And so we have to have a specificity, or specificity, however you like to say it. Now, we skip down to verse 8. And let and. There's other things I want you to do. There's other things I have said, and there are more things I will say. And let them make me a sanctuary a divine place where they can concentrate coherently, coherently, that I may dwell among them. I don't want to dwell among a bunch of screwballs that are so diversified in their thought that they can't get away from all of the downfall of, of their trips into lust. If they can't have a few dedicated times in which they step out of that world of being a human beast and can come into a solitude of desiring to be spiritual, then, you know, they're not ready to come into this sanctuary. And this sanctuary is going to be where a divine nature is. And I want you to make a place for me. And I'll dwell there among them. And so we, we teach, well, we, every human born into the world. John 1, 8, 9, and if they're, they're born into the world. They have the light. They have the kingdom of God. They have the signal. But it's in suspension. It's not activated. And so a lot of times in these scriptures, we're talking about an act of activation, a li limited end, an end to the suspension, and that Holy Ghost come into your consciousness, come in to your mindfulness, come into your coherence. 
and it's so important that I may dwell with you, that I may share spirit with you, that I may share mind with you, that I may share energy with you, that I may share thoughts with you. Coherence. So important. And how do we know this thing about the kingdom of God? Well, because Jesus said it, and the Bible says it, that the kingdom of God is within you, and it comes without without being able to be seen. It's an invisible thing within you. Jesus taught that. And then the Bible teaches that we are the temples, referring to that kingdom of God, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. What is the Holy Ghost? Well, don't you think it's about time that you answer that? You have some knowledge on that? If you follow on to know the Lord, so you can have some intellect, some spiritual knowledge? I would say that it's that time. What is the Holy Ghost? Well, the Holy Ghost is big time. It's in every human being because the human beings that have spirit souls were made according to the destiny of God, by the plan of God, to be a tabernacle, a temple of the Holy Ghost. And if you come to the end of your life and all your life you have lived and you were designated with that inner kingdom of God to be a temple of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost as it spoke to Moses is speaking to you and saying, make me a sanctuary. Do something with this Holy Ghost temple you've got. Don't leave it empty. Don't leave it blank. Don't knock the dominoes down so everything is flat and has no perimeter of reference. Do something with this temple. Furnish it with your interest. Furnish it with your seeking, searching, longing, yearning, pleading, and determination. Make those the furniture that you can sit in and be elevated of mind. that I may dwell among you. See, the presence is everywhere. But you're incoherent to it. So it has no relativity to you, no relationship to you, no correspondence with you. But when you open up so that the suspension is ended, and all of a sudden, Something alive and moving with quickenings and rushings. Speak, being able to, as the Psalms 19, 1 through 6 said, a line that goes out throughout all the universe, and there is no place it is not, and there is no language that it does not speak, not to mention the languages that you have never heard of as a human. Now get a hold of this one, verse 9. This is important. According. How do you do this? How do you solve this problem? How do you change the referendum? How do you motivate this new incursion? This transportating to a higher realm of transition. How do you do it? Here's how you do it. You do it according to all 
A-L-L, that I showed thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so you shall make it. You shall have these metaphorical understandings that Jesus said, whatsoever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Whatsoever you understand on earth in its relativity to the main subject of spirituality will then reference you to understanding what it means on a spiritual plane. And that is quite a loosening. And this was shown to Moses in the mount. Well, what in the world happened on the mount? Well, to best find that out, you turn to Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, now get a hold of this, verse 17, here is the environment. Here is the stage. Here is the ongoing occurrences that were accentuating indelibly both in a physical revelation and a spiritual revelation by a company of publishers. And this company of publishers was a large number. Verse 17, the chariots of God are 20,000. Even thousands of angels. Let me read it again. The chariots of God. The ziths. Z-Z-I-T-H-S. The ziths. Which means fringe. From the fringe. From the fringe of where? The fringe of the universe. Because on the other side of the fringe, the uttermost fringe, on the other side of that, out there beyond the beyond, is the first domain. The spirit world of the God invisible God. The chariots of God are 20,000. That's not the whole number of them, but that's the number of them that were there on that day in the mount. Even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them. The Lord was among them. As in Sinai in the holy place, the Sinai mountain. So when God is speaking here and saying, I want you to make this like the pattern that was showed to you by the angels, like the pattern that was showed to you by the Lord who was among those angels, that day on the mount, that pattern, I don't want it to, I don't want to change from that. I don't want to deviate it from that. I don't want your idea put into it. I want the Holy Ghost idea. I want the Holy Ghost revelation. I want the Holy Ghost spirit all of knowledge and wisdom and pillars of it. Pillars of it. Now, wow. Now we begin to understand how important this message is. How important this message is. It's not just some idea that Moses came up with. He didn't get it from himself. I'm not too sure how much art that Moses even had. I know he was good with the sword and good with his anger and quite a master of the art of war. 
But I think it took the angels. I think in their corral of presentations, their singing, their notations, finding the lost chords and bringing them up from the depth and saying, here are the lost chords that mankind lost when he lost Eden. Here are the songs that the trees and the grass and the minerals and the elements sing. Here are the lost chords. Don't stir up this new revelation in your temple of, that it's the temple of the Holy Ghost with your human-made ideas that the best you can do is pattern it after some TV show or some movie or some book that some carnal person wrote that's got all kinds of errors in it. But go to the Holy Ghost. Go to the book of the angels that were singing like morning stars on the Mount of Sinai and revealing all these things to Moses. Now look, skip over to Exodus 26. Moreover, I was listening to an old sermon that I preached about the word moreover. And I was talking about how that there are so many people that have less over. <laughs> and I got quite a kick out of listening to that old sermon. Well, we're into the moreover here. And this is what God is trying to say. If you want, you want to go over, well, you need to go moreover than what you've been going because you haven't quite been getting over the hump. You haven't quite been getting over the valley. You haven't quite been getting over your problems. You haven't quite been getting over your sickness. You haven't quite been getting over the germs that live in you and dominate you. You haven't quite been getting over the things that are really not full truth, only partial truth. And I want to get you over, so I'm going to say to you, you need to get into the more over. Thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains. Are these numbers insignificant? Do they mean nothing? Don't be so dumb that you become a smear that stinks. Of course they're important. Of course that number is important. If you break it down on the horizontal plane, and you divide the one from the zero. They are two different values. Very important. The one and the zero are extremely important. That's about universal stuff. It's about God and spirit stuff. But right now we'll call it ten. We want to cover this portable tabernacle. Which is representing the tabernacle of the Lord with ten curtains to begin with. Fine twined. And when I see twined, it always remembers me of twinned. Tw fine twined. Because fine twined linen is like lattice. It's like lattice. So it's got latolution here right in the beginning of this revelation from the mount of the patterns. From the mount of the patterns. Yeah, but someone says, how do you know that now that at this 26th verse, 
that it's still about the thing on the pattern. Well, by looking over still in the 26th verse, over to the scripture, verse 30, where it says, And thou shalt rear up a tabernacle according to the fashion thereof, which was showed thee in the mount. So we are still in all this thing about the loops, talking about the revelation given by the, the, the uh, all these angels, all, all these this, and the Lord himself. Now let's look at this. You shall make these ten curtains of fine twine linen, blue, purple, and scarlet. Don't think that blue and purple and scarlet are not important. They are vastly important. They have not only lineal destinations and distinctions, but they have vertical destinations and distinctions. It's like people get so mixed up. So I thank God for the stars above me. I thank God for the, for, for the, the, the heavens above me. And I always know I've got to look above me. And you say that as you're standing on the ground and looking up. Totally ignorant like the Indians, the American Indians were. Totally ignorant that even the Greeks were for a long time. And the Romans were. That as you stand there on the ground, there is not only a universe above you and a sky above you and stars above you, but beneath your feet all the way down through the earth on the other side, there's another sky, which is a part of the same sky that's above. There's another universe, which is a part of the same universe that is above. There's another beautiful display of stars that belongs to the up, even though it's in the down. We got to get this insight on a spin. And this is the beauty of the loop revelation. Because the loop takes in both that which is up and that which is down. It takes both that which is light and that which is darkness. And it makes it so there's no differentiation. You can see through the light, but you can also see through the darkness just as well. Why are lions so capable of destroying uh, and uh, being some, one of the greatest predators is because of their night vision. They go out there and they see these animals that they prey on that don't have that good kind of night vision. They have some, but they just don't have night vision to speak of. And they've got this night vision. They can go out there and they can capture and be a predator and, and get their meal set for, for their dinner because they can see in the daytime and they can see at night. Don't tell me it's not possible. Even animals know it's possible because they've got it. Here we go. Make the tabernacle with tin curtains, fine twine linen, latticed, blue, purple, scarlet. All of those have meanings. I don't have time to go into all that. I've preached on it before. With cherubims. Cherubims are involved in this thing. This thing of this revelation of loops. It's about the tabernacle. That's about the temple of God. Cherubims are involved in it. And it's a cunning work. And thou shalt make them so. You make them as a cunning work. The length of one curtain shall be 28 cubits. Whoa. What do we mean by that? Well, this is about the length. 
So you take the 28, and you can do all kinds of things with that. Because if you take it horizontally, and you take the 2 as a value, and the 8 as a value, it equals 10. So then the length equals 10 cubics in that sense of value and makes it equal to the 10 curtains. So you got a loop. you got a 10 and a 10. And the length of one curtain shall be 8 and 20 cubics, and the breadth of one curtain, 4 cubics, and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. What? It's like the Revelation in the book of Revelations. It gives a mathematical description or a measurement description of how tall the walls, walls of Jerusalem are, how wide they are, and then it says they're all equal. They're all equal. They all equal the same. It's one measurement. See, that's a new kind of math. That's different than the kind of theoretical math that you're, they're using out there in the string concepts and in some of their other concepts. A while back here, I, I don't, I'm not just sure whether it was, you know, teaching two, three, or four. But one of my teachings, I was telling about experience, about Holy Ghost experience. And how that I saw this clock, and, and his hand was on nine, and I go through this whole description. Well, in my rush to preach that message, and, and probably didn't make good notes, I've got, uh, you know, 12 and 9 equaling uh, 16. And uh, so I read that, and I thought, oh, I left out the prime conjecture. Left out the prime conjecture. Well, interestingly, we are now doing a thing where we are we're going to take the first five teachings and we're putting them into a book at a very incredibly low price. And you'll be able to go back and anything that we have left out or if we misquoted a scripture, we've made that all correct. So you can go back and read that, get every, all these points exactly correct, and we hope to have this marketable, ready to go, maybe in you know, a month or so. And it's, it's in the making right now. It's, it's on the table. It's in the crank. So let me go on with this, because it's so important, this thing about the prime conjecture. You know how that, that works, because I showed how that, you know, you, 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 you take the nine, as being part of the uh, prime J conjecture, and, um, and you go into dividing. Someone says, I don't think there's any dividing. Oh, really? And the Bible tells us that we have to get into the dividing uh, of the spirit, the mind, and soul, and body. So we're, we're supposed to get into all kinds of things and understand, as it says in Corinthians, all these different kinds of width and depth and, and, and episodic different uh, uh, dimensional expressions that it makes in that scripture. We're supposed to know that. We're supposed to get into it. And so here we go. This thing about the loops is gigantic. Now, the length of one curtain shall be eight. Okay, in this revelation that we did, you know, of, the, of this whole thing of the dream of the nine, you know, and, and uh, uh, 
here, you know, here, here's what we did. Um, we had the hour hand, we had the the, the second, uh, minute hand, and uh, and digging into it, uh, we did a divide, and and we made, did it as what was called in the primes a prime conjecture. And so we took the five and we set it off aside out of the configurement, and we took then the number that was left of nine, which is four, and then we add that to the twelve, and that's what gives us the sixteen. That's what was left out in that particular teaching. But I'm going to show it to you right here in the Bible of this teaching I'm doing again, where this all comes from. Okay. Verse 2, chapter 26. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits. And the breadth of one curtain, four cubits. Now, there's all kinds of meaning to that, you know. Uh, you know, we just want to, one of these days, get into that because cubics, of course, are are definite measurement figures, and 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 so when it talks four cubics, it's talking about, you know, four as representing four, but each one of those four also distinctively re represent a, a, a multiplicity of other terms and numbers. So that might sound a little complicated, but I'll try to make it easier to understand. And every one of the curtains shall have one measure. What? You got ten curtains, they all got to have one measure? Someone says, oh, it just means they're equally made. Oh, no, it doesn't just mean that. The five curtains, and here we go. Here's where we get into this other recent dream that I had, where this Artursian-like from the uh, father's house appeared, and he, and he had this big uh, blackboard that he drew up there, and he drew this curved point all the way across to another curved point, and they were all connected with one line. And he says, I'm going to start revealing to you the doubling, the double lean. Okay, here we go. The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. So when you couple these curtains together, it makes a loop. And when you make a loop, you have five curtains, and because the way you double them, five turns into ten. So five and ten become the same measurement. They both belong together. So when we take and go into the prime conjecture, we understand about the five, and we understand about the 10, because one is just an integer that is not a prime, and the other is a prime because of what it is that makes it to be a prime, which I'll get into the explanation if I have time on that. And so here we have a prime conjecture. We have 10 curtains that were made to become 10 curtains, by the coupling that is done, so there is both the five and there is the ten. And, and one of those numbers is a prime and the other number is just an integer and not a prime. And as you begin to understand that, that was what I was doing because of the difference of the, of the hour hand and the minute hand and how that I took that and I made those uh, one part to apply and the other part not to apply and allowed me to then have the number 
12 plus 4 instead of 12 plus 9. And it was a method called prime conjecture, which is a literal actual method of primes. Uh, some of those conjectures are so fantastic that there are two conjectures that to this day were done by great scientists that have never yet ever been solved. They've never been able to, to solve them. They are so intricate. Now we have this coupling. Let's go to verse 4. And thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of one curtain. The edge, same thing as fringe. Same thing as fringe, edge. From the, from the selvage in the coupling. And likewise, I get on to this one, and likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. So we have the fringe, which is just a touch of the hem of the garment. <clears throat> and healing comes from that. But then we have the uttermost, the uttermost fringe. And this gets us in the 30, 60, 90, or the 30, 60, 100 fold, in which you're looking through the eyes of consternation, the eyes of determination, and the eyes that have directives. And in the directive of the 30 fold, you see a vision, but it's not the all of the all. But when you get into the hundredfold, you see in the all of the all, and you are at the uttermost edge of the fringe. And when you get to the uttermost edge of the fringe, you look out and beyond the beyond, you're looking past the universe, and you're looking toward the first domain. And it's beautiful. Verse 5, 50 loops shalt thou make in one curtain, and 50 loops shalt thou make the edge uh, of the curtain that is the coupling of the second, that the loops may take hold one of the other. So you've got 50 and 50, what does that equal? It's 100. So you've got a hundredfold revelation right here in these loops, and there is such a connectedness and such a oneness like the scripture I read to you where we are all joined unto Christ and we become one spirit. That's, that's a coupling. That's a looping. And it's such a beautiful thing and it is such an awesome prime conjecture because you have to deal with your physical body. And do you bring your physical body into this? No. You've got to go into silence in heaven for a half an hour and you just go to the spirit part and you only count the spirit part and in the, the prime conjecture you set the physical body you don't destroy it, you set it aside you don't, you don't put it into the count it's not part of the loop and that's why the prime conjecture is only about that part which goes into the loop alright wow Whew. Let's skip, go on here a little bit. Can't read all of this because we won't have time. And then there is a certain versatility so that when the talents are handed out, you know, and the Bible says that the rain, R-A-I-N, falls on the good and the bad. 
So when the talents are handed out, there are some people that get it that are, they're, they're pretty good, decent people. And there are other people, that, that other people that get the talents, they're not all that decent. And so we have here verse 7, and thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair. <laughs> so you, you've got the goats and you've got the sheeps involved in this. They're getting a chance. And the goats play a part because, you know, there's that special thing where one of the goats is sent out to this mystery mountain where it is to, to bear the sins of the people. And so there, there's a part. Some, some people were destined to become vessels of dishonor. They're destined for that. And when they do a really good job with their vessel of dishonor and they do a really good acting job, They'll get an A plus and they'll march right across the pearly gates because they did what they were destined to do. They were called to be vessels of dishonor and they did a good job at it. Other people are called to be vessels of honor and they do a good job at that and they get the A plus and they mark, march through the, the pearl gate. Verse 9, And thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves, and six curtains by themselves, and shalt double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. So, verse 8, And the length of one curtain shall be thirty cubits. Thirty-fold ministry. Thirty-fold ministry. Verse 60, uh, pardon me, verse 19, And thou shalt make forty sockets of silver under twenty boards. Forty <laughs> and 20 is 60. 30 uh, fold and 60 fold. Okay, now let's go down to, to, to another one here. <clears throat> this is neat. Um, and thou shalt make, verse 10, thou shalt make 50 loops on the edge of one curtain that is the outmost of the coupling, and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain which is coupled the second. That's 50 and 50, that's 100-fold. So here in this revelation of the loops, you've got the 30-fold, you've got the 60-fold, you've got the 100-fold. And in verse 30, remember, it says, And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle. That's what God's wanting to do. It's there. It's there. It's just not reared up. The Holy Ghost is in you. It's just not reared up. You've got the revelation You've got the power of the Holy Ghost, but it's got to be reared up. It's got to be heaped up. When you, when you heap it up, like the heave offering, that's, that's where the word heaven comes from, being heaved up. You've got to rear it up. You've got to heave it up so that the Holy Ghost is no longer suspended in the temple of the Holy Ghost that abides in you called, called the kingdom of God. Wow. Okay, let's get away from that. We could go on with that. That could be that could take days and days and days of teaching, but we haven't got time to go on. There is a call to the dedication of the Holy Ghost drawn us to life. Accordingly, the bird or the voice of the bird tweets a warning. Remember your creator. Remember your creator. Don't return to your long death home by allowing your silver cord to be loosed or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain. Cancel death. Renew your spirit call 
for the twelve princes to come with their chargers. Now here we have the combination of two scriptures that are absolutely tied together. We're going to get into them because they are absolutely awesome. Now we've got the silver cord. That's in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, and start with verse 7, whatever you need, to get that revelation. To get that revelation, whatever you need to get that, just let us know. Okay? Let us know where, where you're at on this. So I'm, I'm going to run over. I'm going to run over because I've got some important stuff here to do. Here to say, I can't not read this. This is so important. So now, let's let's first let's let's go over and let's look at number seven. This is an amazing revelation. Number seven. Wow. Chapter seven of Numbers. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle. Now remember in the the Exodus twenty six. 25 and 26 readings. We was talking about the tabernacle. We've connected that to the kingdom of God within, one being a metaphor, the other being a literal, and the literal also being an additional higher kind of, of metaphor because you got you got the the fringe and then you got the uttermost fringe. So you have two different kinds of literalization. So first uh, chapter seven. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle, and that reminds me of the day of, po of Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And you know from the scripture that they were all in one unity of one accord. Okay, so it goes on here. And they had anointed and sanctified it. You may not have anointed and sanctified your life the way that you need to do it. You may not have made a really true deep anointing and deep sanctification. You may should do it again. And all the instruments thereof and all the vessels, and this just goes right along with Exodus 26 and how that in the mountain the angels had revealed all these things about the weights and 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 which were to be which things were to be coated with gold and 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 all the the meanings of the measurements. Now listen. Anoint them, sanctify them. That or because or how, the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers. Remember when we were preaching in Exodus, and we were given. This revelation about the 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 the, the fathers and, and and about these things that how that these uh, fathers and princes were the chosen ones. They had rods. They were over each of the tribes. There was twelve of them. Well, now we're talking about twelve princes of Israel, which gets back into that type of thing. Heads of the house of their fathers, who were princes of the tribes, and were over them, numbered and offered. And they brought their offering. Now, hang and hold this. They brought their offering before the Lord. Six covered wagons and twelve oxen. So as a group, they bring six covered wagons and twelve oxen. Now, the reason for this is there are twelve princes. Okay? So they have six covered wagons. And in those six covered wagons, there's going to be two princes 
in each covered wagon. So two times six equals twelve. That so those two covered wagons end up taking are the six covered wagons end up taking care of all of the princes. That is how they're going to be carried. And there's twelve oxen. And then if you divide that for the six covered wagons, you get that each covered wagon is pulled by two oxen. So you have you have two oxen. And you have two princes. But collectively, they all belong to the measure of one number, which is 12. Wow. Because that is the number, that is the leading number. Take them, verse 5, that they may be of service to the tabernacle. And... Moses took the wagons and and the, and everything, and um, he puts them in the perspective of this whole revelation. And it starts off with these princes, and it goes through twelve princes, and each prince brings an an, an offer. Now this is very very important, and its offering was one silver charger, silver charger. That can mean charger. When you translate it, it can mean bowl. Or it can mean just a, like, just a flat piece of wood or a flat piece of metal or something carved out. But it can mean bowl, B-O-L-L, of the 70, and that's a very important number, 70 shekels. And that, that, that is the, gets into the revelation of the desolation of abomination, but we don't have time to go into that. It gets into the revelation of the 70 plus 10 and all those revelations. And there's one spoon of 10 shekels, one young bullock, one kid of the goats, and peace offerings and all that. And then it goes through all these different ones, and they're all involved. Each prince is involved. They're all involved, and this is really important, of the silver, the silver, or pardon me, silver, S-I-L-V-E-R, bowl. Okay? And what does this all mean? Several bowls of 70 shekels after the shekels of the sanctuary, and several, what do these mean? And they're all involved in this dedication of the tabernacle and it's, it's, it's the seventh chapter and it's a huge chapter and it goes on and on and on and when Moses verse 89 was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubims that was located in the tabernacle. This connection to the cherubimic, to the mercy seat, is all part of the tabernacle, which is all part of the revelation for the Holy Ghost and the temple of God, which is inside of you. Now, what does this mean, all of this thing? Well, we go over to Ecclesiastes. And I go to Ecclesiastes 12. And you've heard this, you've probably read it many a times. But it is so important to read it here today. 
with these 12. You need to really read that whole full chapter 12 of Numbers, pardon me, chapter 7 of Numbers. And here's what it says. Listen to this. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon the dark, of the, or, and the stars be not darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And then in verse 6, or ever, or before, it means, the silver, silver, silver cord, and this cord is all tied in to this revelation, be loosed and the golden bowl be broken and the pitcher be broken at the fountain. The whole dedication by these 12 princes, and we are into the prince revelation because a prince is another name, it's, it's another name that is very meaningful as, as meaning archangel. And we are at war, according to Ephesians, between these two different forces of dark and light. They're principalities, principality, prince. And before the silver cord is loose, before the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher broken, all ties back to chapter 7 of Numbers. And every one of those indications have incredible meaning. Silver is a, is a name for redeeming. The silver bowl, the redemption, the gold, the purity of the Word of God. Because you take the shittim wood, which is a common wood of a tree, and you cover it with gold when you're making these articles. And God metaphorically is showing the people how that you can take something common and you can make it holy enough to be in the tabernacle because you have covered it with the pure word of God. And the Bible says, to the pure, all things are pure. So pure that you can pick up a a rattlesnake and it not harm you with its poison. So pure that you can drink poison and the poison not kill you. So pure that no matter what the circumstances, what the thing that happens is, no matter what it is, You are listening to the command of God that says, let the light shine out of your darkness. Let the light shine out of your darkness. Don't let the golden bowl be broken. Don't let this this availability, this method of your Holy Ghost temple be desecrated, be put into a state of incoherence, not being aware of the angels, not being aware of the Holy Ghost, not being aware of the provision that you have destined-wise of being the temple of the Holy Ghost and all that it means with all these provisions and its incorporation of the prime conjecture. Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't get to finish this teaching.
but we went a long ways on it. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine on you. Until next week, or even any time in between. Janet Lee. Thank you.